Let's pray. God, we come to you on another Sunday morning seeking a word from you. I ask that you would speak through me and may we hear a word from you this morning. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So I don't know how many of you know uh, the fact that actually currently I am training for the Chicago Marathon this coming October. Uh, It's pretty exciting. Uh, I'm joining with Team World Vision uh, to join the the effort there. And actually, Heather Carlson is my coach. And she came up with my plan and gave me all the miles I need to do. And sometimes I text her with questions. But I'm I'm really excited. But I've I've hit a few obstacles along the way. Early on, I I encountered some injuries. I was feeling sore, even to the point where I, I couldn't even run. Uh, about a month ago. And so I, I was trying to pull out all the stops, so I, I ordered uh, a foam roller. You guys know what a foam roller is? If you don't know what it is, it's a, it's a long piece of styrofoam, and, and, and you kind of roll on it with your body weight to roll out your muscles. It's kind of a, a massage thing to help you not get injured. So I ordered one of those, and uh, my dad was in town recently. My parents were visiting, and uh, he noticed that I had this foam roller, and he mentioned to Lori, he said, ah, I wish Nate would have told me that he wanted a foam roller. I could have gotten him one for free. Well, my dad, I, kn- I knew this, my dad uh, is a manager at a styrofoam factory, and he, ma- <laughs> and he, makes, he makes all kinds of styrofoam products, uh, but I had no idea that they made foam rollers, and if I knew that, surely I would have saved myself 25 bucks. That would have been really nice, but I didn't know that my dad had that capability, and so I failed to ask for it. I failed to receive that gift. And the same thing happens in our spiritual life. We're not always aware what our Father can do for us. Or we take for granted what our Father has the capability of doing. We take that for granted so we too often miss out on the blessings that He has available to us that He would gladly give if only we would but ask. In the book of Ephesians, it opens up with a wonderful prayer of praise, blessing God for all these blessings. In verse 3, right in the call to worship, but it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Brothers and sisters, God has blessed you in every way. In him, you have everything that you need in the spiritual life in Christ. In the first part of Ephesians, Paul continues. He is praising God for all these things he's done. He's, He's adopted us in Christ. He has lavished his glorious grace upon us. He has redeemed us, He has forgiven all our sins, and He has even given us the promised Holy Spirit. We have all these things. And then Paul begins to pray for the church, which is our text for this morning. And Paul begins to pray that these believers would begin to experience the things that he just praised God for. You see, we have to uh, pray, we have to ask the Lord to bring these realities that he's blessed us with, we have to pray that God would make those a lived experience, a lived reality in our new life with Christ. And I think it's, it's because that we have this access to the Father, we can now have the privilege of asking for these blessings that we might walk a new life in Christ. And I think many of us, we get stuck. We get stuck in our prayer life, don't we? We all go through that. We get stuck, we're not sure what to say, or we get caught saying the same things over and over again. And so sometimes we get into these prayer ruts. And uh, so today I want to offer you hopefully some practical help. I want to give you four prayers that you can pray for new life in Christ. You can pray for yourself, you can pray for your friends, you can pray for your family, you can pray for our church. I hope you pray for our church. But these are practical things that we can pray for. 
But before I jump into those prayers, I want you to notice what Paul did not pray for. He did not pray for more earthly riches. He did not pray for earthly power or fame or prestige. He did not pray for anything that really concerns the ways of the world. No, he prayed for the new life in Christ to become a lived reality for the church and for believers. And so Paul prays for four things in this text. And if you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to follow along with me. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, uh, looking at primarily verses 17 through 20. And there are, there are four things that Paul prays for the believers that we can pray for too. The number one is this. We pray for spiritual insight. We pray for spiritual insight. Look at verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul's asking that God would give the believers the spirit of wisdom. That is the wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge in everyday living. So the, how to live in your everyday life. And then revelation. Revelation is something you cannot understand apart from God. It's the idea that something was hidden, something was mysterious, and now it is revealed to you by the power of the Spirit. It's revelation. It's new insight into who God is and how the world is. And so, if you remember from our Spirit-filled sermon series, which we just finished, this is the Holy Spirit's job, right? He is the one who is to guide the church into all truth. He is the one to reveal the things of God to believers. And so I think if you look in your NIV, the NIV capitalizes the word spirit here because the idea is the spirit is the one who gives wisdom and revelation to us, to the believers in Christ. So the reality is there are certain things you can only understand if the Holy Spirit reveals and teaches and gives it to you. And I really believe this, this confronts our pride, does it not? I mean, don't we often think, if I, just, if I could just reason enough, if I could just read or think through this or talk to enough people, I could solve any problem that I have. I could think through anything that I, that I encounter. But to understand spiritual realities, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And the, notice that the goal of this knowledge isn't just to pass the test or to acquire knowledge. The goal of this knowledge, Paul says, is so that you may know him better. That you may know the creator God, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, that you might know that one more, better. Jesus said this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. And I think in the context of where we live, uh, this, is, this is a really difficult teaching uh, we get stuck in our Christian life. We get stuck in our discipleship because we think that we already know. We think that we already know. We're an educated people. We got access to a plethora of resources and courses and books and all kinds of things. And so over time, I think, we, we are tempted to grow content in our knowledge of God, the one who is inexhaustible, the one who is infinite, the one who is eternal. And we grow content in that knowledge. I agree with John Calvin, who in his commentary on this passage, he says, nothing is more dangerous than to be satisfied with that measure of spiritual benefits which has been already obtained. So the question for us, the question to ask yourself this morning, are you satisfied with your knowledge of God? 
Maybe we wouldn't admit that with words, but often I think we act as if we are. We're not pursuing a greater depth. We're not pursuing a greater understanding. We're not seeking greater knowledge of God. And Paul continues this passage. He describes this spiritual insight in verse 18. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So the heart in Hebrew, it's not emotions like we think of it. It's actually the whole inner being. That part of you that thinks, feels, decides, acts. That your inner person, your inner being. The NLT translates it that you, I'm praying that your hearts would be flooded with light. So he's saying this morning, open the eyes of my heart. Open my inner person. Open my soul that I might see who you are. And then the illustration is, our eyes only work if actually light gets to them, right? Have you ever been in total darkness? Have you ever been on a cave tour or been on several cave tours? And often they'll, they'll take you down to the darkest part of the cave and they'll, and they'll warn you, they turn the lights off, and then they say, you can stick your hand in front of your face and you won't be able to see it. And you don't really believe them, but when, when you do it, it's true. You can, if there's no light, you can stick your hand right here and you can't see anything. And the idea is that is how we are in the spiritual life without the revelation of God. That we are totally in the darkness. That we can't just reason our way to God. No, God has to come in and turn the lights on inside of us spiritually. So that you might understand who he is and how the world actually is. Because when you go from darkness to light, friends, everything changes. Everything changes. Something that was right in front of you that you couldn't see. Now it's a beautiful cave with all kinds of wonderful designs and creations. And so we pray to God, God, would you open my eyes? Would you open the eyes in my heart so that I might see you for who you really are? That I might see my life, that I might see my marriage, that I might see my work, that I might see my everyday life in the context of who you are and what you are calling me to do. Oh God, open my eyes that I won't walk in darkness. I would walk in your light. That is a prayer that we need for everyday living and new life in Christ. We need to pray for spiritual insight. And Paul goes on to say that this spiritual insight is going to involve three aspects of God's character. God's call, God's inheritance, and God's power. And those are going to be the next three points. So the first thing I said is we need to pray for spiritual insight. Number two, we need to pray to know the hope of our calling. We need to pray to know the hope of our calling. Paul continues in verse 18. He says, In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Or in other translations, the hope of his calling. Now, I want to spend some time on some definitions here because I think these are some words we're a little bit unfamiliar with. What does is, what is calling mean? What is God's call? It's a word we kind of Christianese we use. Well, I looked in some Greek definitionaries. If you Greek people out there, it's launida if you want to look it up. Uh, but this is the definition of call in the Greek. It means, it means this. To urgently invite someone to accept responsibilities for a particular task, implying a new relationship to the one who does the calling. Ooh, that's good. That is good. To urgently invite. To urgently invite somebody to call somebody to accept responsibilities for a task, a mission, implying a new relationship to the one who does that calling. It's the idea of, of a king summoning somebody to a task. And when I think of calling, I think there's probably no better illustration than Jesus calling his first disciples. He approaches some of them by the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a call to a task, to a mission, but it's also a call to a new relationship. Follow me, be close to me, learn from me, learn my way of life that I might pass it on to you. 
So I want you to notice there are two, there are two very close aspects of a calling. There's a call to close relationship and there's a call to mission. A call to close relationship, a call to mission. So if you, I can put it in mathematical terms, relationship plus mission equals calling. That is a calling. When God calls you, he's calling you to a relationship and he's calling you to a mission, to a task. It's an urgent invitation to relationship and mission. The Bible describes our calling as a heavenly calling, a holy calling, a high calling, a calling that we must walk worthy of, and that this calling gives us hope. Why would this calling give us hope? What is the hope of this calling? I want to spend some time with that. Let me give you another definition because I think it's important. The Greek definition of hope is this. To look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. To look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. So God's call to relationship and mission gives us something really good to look forward to in the future. So we look forward to these wonderful truths that are connected with both of those aspects of the calling. So let's start with the relationship part, right? So the hope, what is the hope that we have of this, with this relationship with God? Well, first, we look forward to the time when we will finally know God fully. When we will see him face to face, when we will be in glory and we will be like him. And there'll be no more barrier between us and God. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Oh friends, what it will be like to be there on that day when you'll go from darkness to light, when you'll go from looking in a mirror to seeing the full image of God, seeing Jesus Christ face to face, how glorious it's going to be. We can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. Because reality is, even though we have Christ, even though that we have the Spirit, even though we have access to the Word of God, aren't there times that you really wish that you could just know God fully? That there'd be no more barrier? That finally you could finally understand, yes, God, now I know what you're saying to me. Don't you wish you could just hear what God was saying clear as a bell? God, that, that is what it's going to be. There will be no more wondering. There will be no more discerning. It will be, we will be fully known and we will fully know God. In all the sin, all the temptation, all the struggle that keeps us away from fully experiencing God, all of that will be no more and you will be as, exactly as God intended you to be. Paul says in Philippians 1, He who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One day you will be glorified. You will be like Jesus Christ. No more sin, no more shame, no more guilt, no more barrier, no more burden. And you'll have no more burden of this earthly decaying body because God will make you like Christ. There'll be no more hospital stays, no more hospice, no more cancer, no more suffering, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more weakness in our human flesh, no more getting tired and weak. You will be fully alive, made like Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that we have in our relationship to God. And that's the hope for our future, for our eternal future. And that is a wonderful hope. But we also have hope for our earthly future, for the years that remain until we reach that heavenly shore. Because surely God is going to guide us. Surely he is going to go before us. Surely he is going to be there above us and be on the side of us and behind us. He's going to be with us. Spurgeon says it this way. The Christian expects a stormy vo a voyage. 
But because Christ is at the helm, he hopes to come to the fair havens at the last. He expects to be tempted, but he hopes to be upheld. He expects to be slandered, but he hopes to be cleared. He expects to be tried, but he hopes to triumph. Sustained by this hope, he dreads no labors and fears no difficulties. Isn't that a wonderful hope? That's a lot of hope. I feel like a, feel like a salesman up here, but I'm going to say, that's not all. That's not all, man. There is more. There is more hope where that came from. We have more because there is also hope for the mission that God has called us to. You see, Jesus came to establish his kingdom to call men and women to usher them into this kingdom movement. And that means Jesus is establishing his kingdom in the earth. And that means that our mission, it's not mission impossible. It's not mission futile. It's not mission this isn't going to go anywhere. No, it's going to be mission accomplished. Jesus is going to accomplish his mission. And we get to be a part of it, part of that. That means all that we do for God is going to be used. Nothing is going to be wasted. Nothing is going to be lost. All that you've done for the Lord, God is going to use it all in his glorious mission of establishing his kingdom. And that means sometimes, as, as bad as this world looks sometimes, as, as weak as the church can look in our day, that means it's, it's not going down the drain ultimately. The world is not going down the drain and the church is not going to lose. Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. Satan's going to lose and God's kingdom will come. As weak as it looks, as bleak as it looks, we are on the winning team. We will not lose because God will establish it. So we have tremendous hope in this calling. We are part of a mission accomplished. But the reality is we grow weary and we lose hope. So this is something that we need to pray for. We must pray to experience this hope so that we don't grow weary in the calling God has given us. So we pray to know the hope of our calling. Number three, we need to pray that we grasp our identity in Christ. We pray to grasp our identity in Christ. Paul continues his prayer for the believers. He says, I pray that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, if you read the commentaries, there's a lot of scholarly debate here. Because it's, it's a little unclear in the English and it's pretty unclear in the Greek too. Uh, is this referring to the inheritance that we are going to receive from God in eternity? Or is this referring to the idea that God has an inheritance and his, and his inheritance is us, his holy people? And honestly, I can honestly tell you, I don't know. Scholars disagree. There is a debate. But I'm not sure that we have to choose. Because both ideas are biblical and true. We will receive an inheritance from the Lord, and we are also God's inheritance. And the idea that we are God's inheritance is a little less familiar to us, I think, but it is found in the scriptures. And so I want to show that to you. In Deuteronomy 26, 18, it says, The Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession. And there's another passage that says that we are God's inheritance, his allotment. So in other words, we are God's treasured possession, his holy people, his inheritance, his portion. And all of this, whether you take it either way, all of this gets at our identity in Christ, how God sees you, how God sees us. And friends, because we are God's treasured possession, that means you are so valuable to him. You are so precious to him. You are his beloved son or daughter. 
That is why Ephesians 1 opens with God planning. Before the foundation of the world, before creation, God planned to save you, to redeem you, and to adopt you because he wanted you to be a part of his family. And he would give everything. He would give his son to have you, to adopt you, to redeem you. He is the, he is the father of the prodigal son, opening his arms and saying, come home. You are my precious son. You are my precious daughter. You are the apple of God's eye. He wants to inherit you and be with you forever. And I believe we often need to pray that we might understand and appreciate this reality because so often we are told lies by our enemy Satan, by the world, by the media, by the culture, by friends and family, say words that hurt us. And so we need to pray that we might experience the reality of our identity. Uh, and I, I love how Henry Nouwen, Catholic theologian, he says there are five lies of identity, five most common lies. They're this. Number one, the lie that I am what I have. Number two, that I am what I do. Number three, that I am what other people say or think of me. Number four, I am nothing more than my worst moment. And five, I am nothing less than my best moment. These are the five most common lies I believe you'll be tempted with. But we have to confront that with the truth of our identity in Christ. I am not what I have. I am not what I do. I am not what other people say or think about me. I am, my, my worst moment does not define me, and my best moment does not define me either. You know what does define me? I am God's son. I am God's daughter. I am beloved in Christ. I am his treasured possession, and now nothing can come between me and Jesus. And I have eternal security in him, and he will guide me to that shore all the way. That's my identity in Christ. And we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us Know that and to experience that and that we might walk in that every day to have new life in Christ. So we need to pray that we would grasp our identity. And finally, number four, we need to pray to experience God's power. We must pray to experience God's power. If we have any hope of living a victorious Christian life, we're going to need the power of God. Amen? Can't do it on our own. We need the power of God. And so verse 19 through 20 uh, Paul's saying, I want you to know his imperatively great power for us who believe. And Paul actually uses four different Greek words to describe the power of God, all the words that were available to him. He wants you to know it's an amazing power. So the first word he uses, uses is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, a power, power that God has. And it means, it denotes the ability to accomplish something. It gets to that question in Scripture that asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for God? The answer is no. <laughs> Nothing is too hard for God. God can do the impossible. God can do more than you can imagine. Nothing is too hard for the Lord to accomplish. The second word he uses is the word, Greek word energia, where we get the word energy. It's this idea of a force working uh, to accomplish a task. It's an energy. It's a force being applied to a situation. The third word Paul uses is ixus. It means strength. It means the, pos the possession of power or strength. And the fourth word he uses is kratos. And that means the power to overcome what stands in the way. God can overcome any obstacle for the church. God can overcome any obstacle that we face in the Christian life. God can overcome anything that stands in his way. God can do all things. And this power is available to us. Paul says it's for us who believe. This is the power that's available to you. Isn't it no wonder that Paul told the believers to pray about everything? 
to carry everything to the Lord in prayer? If this power is available to us, why won't we carry it to God in prayer? Because he can do all things. That's why Paul, he, he says, he, he, well, let me back up here. Because I want, I want to be clear. This power is given to us to live out our calling and for the energy needed for that calling. So this power does not mean that we will face no obstacles. It's the power that we can get through them. This is why Paul would write in Philippians 4, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know where Paul wrote that from? A dungeon. Yeah, right, prison. I can overcome this. I can get through this. Paul put it another way in Romans 8. He said, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Notice these are all things he expects Christians to go through. You are going to go through some of the worst things this world and Satan can throw at you. But he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can overcome all the sufferings and trials of this world through God's power that works in human weakness. So friends, I'm sure there are situations that you're facing right now that you need the power of God in your life to overcome difficulty, to overcome stress, to overcome conflict, to overcome difficulties in your marriage, in your workplace, in your family. And God can give you the power to endure. God can give you the wisdom that you need for those conversations. God can give you the power to overcome that thing that you're struggling with. God can empower you and he will when you pray. A couple weeks ago, Laura and I went to New York City uh, to, see, uh, to take Navia to uh, Aladdin. We got to see Aladdin on Broadway. It was my first time on Broadway. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I love Aladdin. Aladdin is my favorite Disney movie. And uh, in the story, Aladdin kind of accidentally stumbles upon the magic lamp, and he rubs the magic lamp by accident, and Genie comes out, and uh, Aladdin is wondering how all this is going to work, and Genie's a little kind of, you know, ticked off. And he says, you don't understand what you've just done here. You don't understand the power you have, uh, that you have. And so they, they launch into a song, and the song is called Never Had a Friend Like Me. And Jeannie is doing all these things to show him, there is so much power that I have available. You've never had a friend like me. And Jeannie says, I quote from Jeannie, from Aladdin, it says, you've got some power in your corner now. Some heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch, pizzazz, yahoo and how. See, all you got to do is rub that lamp. Now, in no way, well, not in no way, but in many ways, God is not a genie that we can just rub a magic lamp. That's not how it works. But God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He has so much power available to you, and all you have to do is pray. All you have to do is pray. He is available to you. So let me recap. In our new life in Christ, we have been blessed with all the spiritual blessings in Christ, but we must pray to access those blessings. So what do we pray for? Number one, we pray for spiritual insight, that we might understand the knowledge and reality of God and get to know Him better. Number two, we pray to know the hope of our calling. We need hope to get through this world, and we need hope to live out the calling, the mission and relationship God has called us to. Number three, we pray to grasp our identity in Christ, that we might know that we are God's treasured possession, and that nothing can come between us and God's love for us. And finally, number four, we pray to experience God's power, that we might overcome all things that stand in the way of God's mission for us. So in summary, we pray for knowledge, we pray for hope, we pray for identity, and we pray for power. 
And we can pray for these things because these are things that God has blessed, blessed us with and he's made available to you as his son and daughter in the kingdom. And I, as members of Faith Covenant Church, I really believe our church needs these four things in great measure right now in this season. As we look to renew, revive, grow, bring more people in, we need spiritual insight. We need the wisdom revelation of the Holy Spirit. We need the hope that we have the calling because we get tired, we get weary, but we need to know that there is hope, that God has greater things ahead of us than he has behind us. He has more for us to do. He has a greater purpose in the future for us. So we need hope that God is still working here, that God has more in this community. And as we do that, we need to stay grounded in our identity and we need the power of God unleashed because we can't do it on our own. But I believe God wants to unleash his power that he might see his kingdom expanded in Faith Covenant Church and in this community. So friends, this morning, may you go knowing that you are blessed with every blessing in Christ knowing that you are God's beloved, knowing that you have a power available to you that is unimaginable, and knowing that Jesus has redeemed and saved and called you to his kingdom that has hope everlasting. Amen.